Welcome to the Impact Church Podcast. Today we're still in the series on Joshua and we're right there in chapter 5 where Joshua encounters the man with the drawn sword. Now this is an encounter with Jesus himself and before you do anything significant for God, you need that personal deep encounter with him. And Joshua had an encounter with God where he said, hey look, I haven't come to take sides, Joshua. I've come to take over. I'm going to share with you some of my personal encounters and how God's touched my life, but you're going to encounter God in a fresh way today. So come on, let's get into the Word. All right, there we go. There we go. So we started off saying, are there things that we can do now to prepare for what's next? Are there things? And we really are in a transition. And uh, just to keep you updated, it's an interesting transition. Uh, We did plan on being out of here by the end of February. And we're hoping that may still happen. Praise the Lord, because he's the way maker. Amen. Miracle worker, promise keeper. So we, our architect way back in January, talked to the city a few times. I have copies of emails and with the landlords where I said, can you reaffirm that we can have a congregation there and, and carry on? And uh, so I got an affirmation right there. Yes, just talk to City Hall. It's fine. We're ready to go. So we've done all our plans. We the building did all the things that we're doing with that information in mind that we've got the proper permission to do what we're doing and uh, right just before I left for vacation we put in our permits uh, we paid for our permits and then I got an email saying you can't do that over there I was like what made a few more calls and the architect went what and everybody went what and we talked a bit more but the city is still kind of stuck on we can't do that over there so uh, we've had some meetings with the city had a meeting with a whole group of people on Thursday and uh, we've left it with them now that hopefully we've had a planner's uh, direction on our part that sees the building code and the zoning code that it falls in favor of our cause Uh, But we're in a bit of an impasse and we're asking the city to give us resolve it somehow in our favor. And so there's a lot of different things we got to press through. But praise Jesus, we really need the Waymaker, the Promise Keeper, uh, to just uh, get us through this. So we got a promise. And, you know, even when they were promised that they got to have the land, God said, I'm going to give you this land. They still had to possess it. There were still obstacles. They still had to pull out their swords and fight. Isn't that annoying? I just wanted to walk in and enjoy it. I, didn't, I wanted to put my sword away and say, ah, finally, peace at last. But apparently the possessing is going to take a little more effort. But thank God that uh, if God be for us, who, who can be against us? So, so we're working on that. So there's things we're working on in this transition. There's things we're learning in this transition. And there's things we can do to prepare for what's next. So Joshua 5 verse 10 said, Now the children of Israel camped at Gilgal and they kept the Passover. Now Pastor Zach talked about remembrance and Passover. He talked about the whole aspect of circumcision. I still don't know how God came up with that. I figure like a, maybe a piece of my pinky. I don't know. But anyway, uh, let's leave that alone. So, uh, but there were two sacraments that were established there. One was circumcision, the other was Passover. And they hadn't practiced circumcision or Passover ever since they refused to go in and take the land. For 40 years, they wandered around the wilderness and they did not practice circumcision or Passover. It's almost like in that 40 years, God said, I am done with that generation. So when they crossed over and they came in when you know whoa it's time let's take the land god's like wait a second 
Before you do that, I got a couple things I want to insist on. And one was circumcision. Circumcision does, it represents, in, our, in, in Colossians, it talks about uh, baptism, a circumcision, and Passover is communion. So we have two sacraments as a fellowship, and the one is that we practice communion. The other is we practice water baptism. So Colossians 2, 11, 12, it says, by circumcision of Christ, we've been buried with him in baptism. And when people are baptized, we're, we're not, it's not just a, a getting wet. It's not just a symbolic thing. We literally are identifying completely with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And something happens in our lives where once and for all, we are set apart to the purpose of God. And it's been rolled back. I mean, I love the waters parted all the way to Adam. It's been rolled back every fleshly thing and motive in our lives is separated from us and been removed through the waters of baptism. There's a circumcision not by us, but Jesus Christ himself, his hand separates us to his purpose. And out of that, the promise of God begins to flow by the spirit of God alone. Baptism is a powerful, powerful principle. But that is one of the principles that was initiated for them coming into the promise, which is a type. All of it is shadows and types. All of it is a type of us as a people of God coming into practically living out and walking in the spirit-filled life, walking out every single promise of God. It says when you come in, before you begin to take the promises, before you start to take things in this land, before you do that, before you even taste the fruit of the land, you've got to have circumcision. And baptism is a big deal. Can you be born again without baptism? Absolutely. But baptism is a strong living principle in your life. I am a baptized believer. That principle is active. That powerful dynamic is active in my life every day. When the enemy comes and tries to accuse or attach me to some lineage or, or generational issue, I'm a baptized believer. I've been circumcised, set apart by Jesus' own hands. I am separated to his purpose and the flow of his life in me, never to be dragged back in that again. And so it's a principle that they had, but it's a principle that was a foreshadowing of something for us. Then in 1 Corinthians 11, 24 and 25, it says, take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you in remembrance. Do it in remembrance of me. And, and, and they were called to remember. We want you to live in a constant remembrance, a constant declaration. Here's what it says. It says, you remember it, but you also declare it. In this, you will declare the life of God until he comes, right? So do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner also he took the cup, saying this is the cup of the covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And in doing this, it says you declare my death. You declare the resurrection, the finished work of the cross until I come. And so these are two ordinances that were started there. There's two things they had to do before they began to enjoy the land, before they began to possess the promise. These are two things that had to be established in their lives. And I strongly believe, if you want to be a fully initiated believer, being baptized in water and practicing the Lord's table are two, they're not some little lovely things we do as a community. These are vital things for us to do, to proclaim what God has done for us, to live out the reality of it. Remembering it brings the dynamic of the finished work of the cross always before us in every aspect of our lives. It's not I who live, it's Christ who lives. The life I now live, I live by the power of the Son of God. And it's so important to do. Can I get another amen? Oh, that's good right there. All right, let me, let me do this right now. You ready? You've got this? You've got, if you don't have one, please put up your hand. We can get you one right now. If you don't have one, a couple people don't have them. I'm going to open mine. I'm going to try. All right. Oh, my wife is going to help me? No? Here. 
There you go. This is powerful. This is something that they didn't get to do in the wilderness, but in the promised land, in the fullness, they got to do this. And they practiced the Passover. And the Passover was coming out of Egypt, coming out of the world. They were separated from that once and for all. They came out of it, and they identified with a lamb. And they had to take a lamb and put the blood on the outside of the doorposts, and the lamb, the whole lamb had to be consumed. So they had the blood on the outside and the lamb on the inside. And so that's what they did. And so we have the blood of Jesus that speaks a better promise over our lives. And you know, when the blood is applied, the enemy has to pass over. He doesn't look at who's inside. What kind of people are in there? Have you guys been behaving yourself in there? Hey, who's inside the door? The devourer, the destroyer, if he saw the blood, if he saw the blood, he had to pass over. That's it, the blood. What speaks for you? The blood. It's not about your behavior, what you've been doing inside there. What have you been doing in that room? The destroyer had to pass over because he saw the blood. I say it's not just the blood is how you get in. The blood is what sustains you, separates you. There is power in the blood. Wonder-working power in the blood. My mom said, make much of the blood and the blood will make much of you. I love preaching on the blood because there's power in the blood. And it says, the hymn writer said, the spirit answers to the blood. So when you preach on the blood, the Holy Ghost going, yeah, that's a good sermon right there. I'm going to whack some people with that. So I'm telling you, the blood of Jesus, you had a bad week. You feel like you're not quite right. You feel like, have I been pleasing to God? Here's what you have to do. You ready? The blood. And then, though, you got to try harder, right? No the blood you constantly make much of the blood you know how you change your life the blood well how does that work it's in the word of god i reckon god knows better just do it what do you got to say for yourself the blood when the accuser comes says you've been bad this week the blood well how does that work believe me it works and it'll transform your life it'll transform everything about you and if you believe in holiness if you believe in righteousness then there's only one way to manifest it in the kingdom one way you ready the blood of jesus that's it any other way is not authorized and any other way will not get you results hey this is the body it says in Jesus' body, in his body, he took all sin for all time. Every single sin, even the one you're going to commit on Tuesday. He's got it covered. We're not in a sin relationship anymore because God dealt with that. See, a lot of people do church, they constantly approach with, here we come with all our failures. We're all losers. Oh, God, have mercy. See, I'm not in a sin relationship with God anymore. I don't, I don't come before God with my sin always in front of me because he's delivered me from sin once and for all. That's not the first thought I have approaching God is, oh, I wonder if he saw that. Yes, he did. He was there. And he probably wants to have a talk with you a little later, but it doesn't change the fact that he loves you, he's for you, and he's going to bring you through and he's going to manifest his purpose in your life. First thing we better do before we enter into the lifestyle of pulling out our swords and conquers, we better get our identity straight. I am a child of God. By his declaration, not mine. He has declared it. He has established it. He has fixed it forever. 
I am a child of God. And he took every sickness, he took every sin, he took every bit of brokenness in his body. And by the stripes that are right now in the back of our Savior as he stands before the throne, there's a man in heaven and he was wounded for me. And those wounds speak absolute healing and deliverance for me in the name of Jesus. So I drink this on purpose. I eat this on purpose. I eat this with an expectation that I'm going to experience the manifest power of God in my life today. You are healed in Jesus' name. You are healed in Jesus' name. You are healed in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, the blood. For all you do, this blood's for you. No? The blood is powerful. It's the blood of Jesus. Thank you. Thank you for the wonderful mystery. It says the life is in the blood. And the divine life of God was spilled out over that broken body. And the divine life of God poured out over that sin-wracked body, allowed that body to be raised from the dead, completely delivered from sin. And so I thank you for the blood of Jesus. I thank you that the enemy, enemy, look, the blood. You must pass over. You must, for this one reason, for this one reason, you must pass over. The blood has separated me to a life of health, of prosperity, and of blessing. The blood alone, in Jesus' name, amen. Mm. Mm -mm -mm. Mm -mm. Mm. Joshua 5, 12 to 15 says, Then... So what happened? They, they were circumcised. They practiced uh, Passover again for the first time. They were baptized. They experienced communion. You see, how do you know you're a believer when you come to the Lord's table and you've been in a house of God and you've been baptized? So there's two real essential things that, that being a child of God leads you to a communion table. Being a child of God leads you to a baptismal. That's what happens. Those two things are very, very essential in your lives. It says, then, then, See, before that, it was still manna. Before then, they still lived in the realm of, what is it? What is it? Until then, they still lived in the realm of lack of understanding and revelation. They were still in the land of, what is it? What is it? And they never enjoyed the fullness of God. But then, if, if it's then, what, what, what happened before then? That's what happened. They came into the land. They were baptized. They were, they were sanctified and set apart. They were brought into a revelation of the Passover and the finished work of the cross. Then the manna ceased. That day. Then the manna ceased, and they ate the produce of the land, and the children of Israel no longer had manna. No longer. We no longer live out of handouts from God. There's a lot of people living in the promised land still saying, I need a handout. I need some manna. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's happening in my life. What is it? What is it? What is it? But you see, when you finish this and you're in the land, it stops. You're no longer a beggar. You're no longer living in, in the spiritual welfare system of, oh, God, please help me. Because now you're invited with, to, by God to take seed and to sow it in the res resurrection power of soil. And now you no longer receive miracles. You're a partner in the miraculous. 
See, in the wilderness, I had to receive a miracle every day. In the promised land, I participate. I am a performer together with God in the miraculous. Something totally shifts. I don't live on manna anymore. I got to get out of the house. I get in the field. I sow the seed. I live through the miracle of death, resurrection. Boom. And I live in the miraculous provision of God every day. It's awesome stuff, it is. Awesome stuff. No longer do I I have the manna, but they ate the food of the land that year. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and he looked. Now, here's Joshua. They took the time to heal. They took the time to get things straightened out. Lord knows you're not going to go to battle right after a circumcision. I had mine done very, very young, so I'm not sure what that was all about, but I'd hate to be trying to go to war with that happening yesterday. Enough about that. Okay, so... And it came to pass, when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and he looked. So now Joshua's like, okay, now it's time to start to take over the land. And he stood there as a leader. He stood and he scoped out the territory. And he's looking and he's strategizing. He's thinking, wow, okay, it's time to move in. What do you think about this? So he's there and he's looking. And behold, a man, say a man. A man stood opposite him with his sword drawn. So suddenly, he's there, he's checking out Jericho, and then all of a sudden, boom, here's somebody there. And not only is he there, but he has his sword drawn. And so the language here, where it says, in his hand, and Joshua went to him, the language that went to him means he went to engage him. There's somebody with a sword. I've been called to take over this land. This land is mine. And so Joshua sees a man with a sword drawn, so Joshua pulls out his sword, and he engages him. And he says, hey, are you for us or are you against us? Who are you? What's very interesting about this is Joshua spent all kinds of time with Moses. He went up the mountain with Moses. He was there when Moses received the Ten Commandments. He was there when Moses spoke face to face with God. He was in the tent of meeting with Moses. When Moses would talk with God, it says Moses then would go out with direction from God and Joshua stayed there. So this is someone who was very accustomed to the voice of God, to the presence of God. He'd been mentored in how to interact with God. He'd had incredible experience with revelations of God and yet here is someone who had all of those revelations and yet when he saw this manifestation he was ready to fight see don't live off of what you have always said this is how God shows up this is how God speaks even John in the book of Revelation I mean he fell on his face in front of he said who is this what's going on you see Jesus I used to hang out with you we used to fish together and now all of a sudden it's fiery eyes it's like a voice of thunder it's like Jesus chill out You know, Jesus won't always, God won't always manifest himself or come to you and speak to you the same way he did yesterday. He might be the same yesterday, today, and forever, but how he engages you may look very, very different. Our God, the Lord, he is a man of war. That is one of the expressions of God. He's the prince of peace. He's all kinds of things. But in this case, Joshua, who knew God, who had an understanding of God, who experienced God in a big way, the presence of God, when God was present this time, he didn't recognize him. And you don't want to be like that. You want to be someone who you can recognize God in those seasons. But don't be surprised if he shows up in a way that you're not accustomed to. Sometimes people miss God and say, that wasn't it. That wasn't it. Went down to him and he said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? So he said, no. Okay, let me run that by again. Are you for us or are you for our adversaries? No. 
And you know, this is a very powerful, powerful truth. I can remember back, wow, 26, 7, 25 years ago, we were still at Grosvenor Street, and I was preaching in this series, and I was preaching about Joshua, and I was right at this passage. The night before, I was in Toronto, and I was at a meeting with my, my dad, and he had a fellow in from the States, and I had Winston Noons, and I had some very significant people, who's who in the charismatic zoo in Toronto there with us, and we had somebody talking about how God had touched him. He had an encounter with God that was so significant and radically touched and changed his life, and he really just said, uh, you know, no longer toil, no longer, you know, struggle. He says, just come unto me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And when he said that, I, I didn't care who was there. I, I don't, I'm a preacher, but you know what? I, I, I need a fresh encounter with God. And I got up and I went forward and I stood there and he prayed for me and I got whacked and I hit the floor. And I mean, I was out there on the floor for a long, long time. I laughed, I cried. My dad got prayer. He was beside me. I was hitting him with my arms. I'm like, sorry, dad. I don't know what's going on. I was flailing around the floor, and I, I was totally undignified. Even in my head, I was going like, you don't look really good right now. You're a pastor. You look like an idiot on the floor. And I was laughing like a crazy person. And then I sat up, and I felt the Lord say to my shoes while I was laughing. I, I laughed so hard, my shoes flew back into the congregation. Like, I, I was convulsing, and my shoes went flying. I went, this is stupid. Where's my shoes? Oh, my God. I was kind of embarrassed getting up. And then the Lord said, before you get up, take off your socks. I went, well, that's stupid. I rebuked that thought. But it kept coming really strong to me, take off your socks. I said, Why would I take off my socks? That's a dumb thought. I resist that thought. But I couldn't, couldn't shake it. And I thought, if it's not God, who cares? But what if it is God? What if there's something God wants to do and it has to do with my socks? Well, that's really crazy. But I thought, you know what? If I take off my socks, who cares? It doesn't matter. My shoes are gone, whatever. So I peeled off my socks. And all of a sudden, I went from laughter to sobbing. And I just broke, and I couldn't stop crying. And I went, what's going on? And the Lord spoke to me, and he says, Carl, I haven't come to take your side. I've come to take over. He said, your shoes you might have thought was some random thing that got knocked off. But I wanted you to, as an act of just yielding and surrendering and trusting me, I asked you to remove your socks, because I'm not here to take your side, Carl. I'm not here because I'm here to exalt your cause. I'm engaged in my cause. I've come to take over. And wow, did I weep. And the amazing thing is, is I was right in this passage. This is where I was the next day, Sunday morning. I had to preach in, Toronto, in London. And I got up and sat in my study at home. And I started reading this passage. I said, man, that's all I got. That's all I've got. And I went to church. We had our worship and stuff. I stood up and I read this passage. And I said, he hasn't come to take your side. He's come to take over. And that's all I got out. And a fellow named Leroy Hibbert came walking up the aisle. And he was about six rows back at aisle like this. And I just said, Phil. And boom. It's like he got hit by electricity and got thrown back down the aisle. And I went, But you know, then Bill came up, we prayed for everybody, then I prayed for Bill, and we had one gal, we, we prayed for the, the platform was full of people, the floor, every place on the floor was covered with bodies. We had one gal was rolling, holy roller. She was rolling back and forth. We put her between a couple pulpit chairs. She said, there was people laughing, crying, all kinds of stuff. And I prayed for people all the way out until I was in the foyer of the church, and I was standing in the foyer, looking back, going like, what happened? 
And Cheryl was doing kids' church downstairs, and she came running around the corner and went, what are you doing up there? And I said, I don't know. <laughs> and she came up, and she stood, and she looked in the same. She said, what did you do? <laughs> and a revival, a, 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 you know, I, I don't like saying revival because it's like we you know, can't live in an ever-present encounter with God. But it does say that there's times of refreshing. There's karos moments of refreshing that come from the presence of the Lord. And God stepped into my life. And then he stepped into us as a community. And as a community, we went through years of what could only be described as nonsense. It just, you know, and it's, we live by faith, not by sight. And sight is the senses. And we were living in a realm of faith that really looked like nonsense, but lives were touched. And in that period, you know, that's when Steve in that season of our life as a church came, rededicated his life. And we had some, some, some years we had 26 weeks of meetings and we saw people from all over New York and Michigan and people came one night, we baptized 60 people and sometimes I'd try to preach and I, all I could get out was <laughs> and in my head it was so clear but somewhere in my head and my tongue were like <laughs> and I'm going, stop it, oh God help me. And yet people's lives were being touched. And all I said was, it's not by might or by power. It's by my spirit, says the Lord. And that season, God really did take over, did something significant for us. And we just bought a new building at that time and moved down the road. And when we got down there, God just continued to visit us. And we were in a situation where... I needed to see about 10 grand a month, a 10 grand a month start to come in because we couldn't pay the bills if God didn't do something. And God immediately visited us. We had an encounter with him that took us to a level where none of that mattered anymore. And it was a wonderful, wonderful season in God. And it was an incredible time. But I tell you, we're in a time now where we're crossing over. We're in a time now where we're looking and we're gazing at Jericho and we're looking at things. And God has promised us this city and beyond. I've had prophetic words where I had... Uh, uh, a fella called me, and he was doing meetings in Boston. His name was, uh, it was Jeff Jansen, actually. And uh, Jeff called. He said, Carl, I'm doing meetings in Boston, and I can't think of anything except you. And he said, I can't even study or open my Bible. All I'm getting is images of you. And he said, God told me to call you and said he's giving you everything in a 200-mile diameter from London. And he said he wants you to possess it. He wants you to take it. I'm like, wow. I had a, another guy called me. He was uh, ministering in, in Rochester. And he said, I, I felt something for north of, north of here. And then I, I put my hand on a map, and I figured it was London. And I started Googling churches in London and all that stuff. And then I saw you, and I said, I've got to call this man. I'd never met him before, don't know anything about him. And all of a sudden he said, man, I had to call you, and I had to tell you that God is going to use you and your fellowship to begin a ridiculous revival in southwestern Ontario. And when he said that, he said, wow, man, the burden is lifted. That's it. At another time, I was sitting in the service on the front row, and we were having a ministry time, and I was just saying, God, there's got to be more than this. She said, God, I, I mean, I'm so enjoying you, and I love that I can enjoy you without limit, and I'm just loving on you, but I want to see everybody experience you. God, there's got to be more than this. And all of a sudden, the, our administrator came, tapped me on the shoulder, and said, somebody wants to talk to you. I said, yeah, they're on the telephone. They said, it's urgent. I said, oh, 
Okay, so I left the meeting, got the phone, and this person said, are you Carl Thomas? I said, I am. I said, I've got a word for you. I will not disappoint you. What I have poured into your heart, it will surely come to pass. And though it tarries, wait for it, it's going to come to pass. And God is going to fulfill those promises for you, and you're going to see, and you're going to rejoice. And I'm like, wow. And the amazing thing is I was just saying to God, when? I mean, would you lay these kind of promises and things in my heart just to frustrate me? I don't believe so. Oh, God. And I'm just kind of there, kind of having a conversation. And all of a sudden, I get the call. And this guy said, wow. He said, I'm a Pentecostal pastor, and I'm on furlough. And strangely, I'm taking courses up at Huron, but I'm also, I'm going to North Park. So it sounds strange. I'm a Pentecostal preacher on furlough at an Anglican institution and going to a community church. But he says, I've been asking everybody who needs this word, who needs this word. And somebody said, you should probably call Carl Thomas. And I've given you this word, and I'm totally released. I feel it's fulfilled. And I went, wow. So here we are, staring at Jericho. Here we are staring at something that I'm like, why do we have to fight all the stinking time? Can't we just walk in and just thank you, thank you, thank you. And you know what? It is given to us. But it's given to us to possess. It's given to us to occupy. It's given for us to take the ground, and we are to dispossess the nations that are there. And we're not fighting against City Hall. We don't fight against flesh and blood, just like Ephesians says. We're not fighting against flesh and blood. But there are principalities, there are powers, there are things that work today in the world that are trying to resist the advance of the kingdom of God. And these are spiritual things that are trying to come against us going forward. And do we think we're significant? I don't really care to be significant, but I've had enough words spoken over my life, my wife's life, and our lives that God wants to do something significant. So whether you think you are or not, the King of kings and Lord of glory, the Father of your soul, wants to use you to do miraculous and incredible things. To which I say yes. And here I am again, strangely, started the series, didn't expect to be going through what we're going through right now, and I had so many difficulties getting down the road to 220 Adelaide Street. And here we are again. But I'm comforted to know this, that no matter what it takes, we're going to experience the promise of God. Hey? What does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army. Isn't it great? The commander of the Lord's army is with us. Did you know that Jesus is with us right now? Did you know he's not, he's not somewhere far off, but he's engaged with us. And he has his sword drawn right now, and he's active on our behalf right now. And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals, take them off your feet, because the ground you stand on is holy. And you see, you take off your sandals, because where you have your sandals on, you have dominion. But when you step into somebody else's dominion, you remove your shoes. That's why in their culture you took off your shoes when you came into another man's home because you're coming under his dominion. Take off your sandals. You're stepping into my dominion. You're stepping into my authority. You're stepping into my place. He says, take off your shoes. The ground you're on is holy ground. And so Joshua did so. He said, now listen, you cannot do any God-authorized stuff without being identified with him. It's profound, isn't it? Authorized stuff. You can't do any God-authorized stuff until you're identified with him. And that's what this journey has been so far. And now we're coming to this place where we've got the Passover, we got the circumcision, we got the Lord's table, we got baptism. But now, before you do anything else, you have to be absolutely clearly identified with him. Moses said, if your presence does not go and it does not take the lead, call the trip off right now. If you, your presence doesn't go with us, if you're not the one who's leading us, call the trip off right now because we're not going to do a single thing without you. Amen? 
Amen. Amen. So, so that was a principle that Joshua lived under with Moses. John 3, verse 3 says, Jesus answered and said, this was Nicodemus. He said to Nicodemus, he said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. Now, a lot of people think that what he's saying is you can't be born again or go to heaven unless you're born again. That's not what he's saying. He's saying unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom. Unless you're born again, you cannot engage the spirit realm. Unless you're born again, you cannot partner with God in his purposes. But when you're born again, you've been given eyes to see and ears to hear are from the Lord. You don't get them at a seminar. You don't get them by doing 12 steps. I'm not talking about the 12-step program, seven steps, 40 steps. You don't don't get them. You get them because you're born again. You get them because you're a child of God. And children of God can see and they can hear. So eyes to see and ears to hear are a gift from God. When you're born again, being born again means that you're engaged with the kingdom. John 5, 19, Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself. The Son, Jesus was the Son, the perfect Son, the man of God, that man. He said, I can do nothing but what I see the Father do. So you see, if we're going to act on that, if we're going to loose the kingdom, if we're going to partner in the purposes of God, you can't do a single thing on your own unless you see what is happening. And seeing is a gift of God. Seeing is not a seminar or a conference. It's a gift. As a child, you are born to see the kingdom and to hear the voice of your Father and to manifest his purposes. So he says he sees what the Father... Jesus said, I can only do what I see the Father do for whatever he does, the Son also also does in like manner. You are created to do the God kind of stuff. You are born again to be literally little Christ, little anointed ones. As he is, so are we in this world. You can see the kingdom. You can see what the heavenly realm wants to manifest. And you're called to partner with him to bring it into manifestation. Acts chapter 1, verse 4. So what happened? Here's another thing. I believe to be fully initiated to walk in and get the promises, you got to be a born-again believer. you got to find yourself at a communion table. You're plugged into a community. you got to have been baptized and that powerful principle working in your life. But the next thing is, is he said, wait. Look what it says. He said, wait. Jesus said, now, now, boom, here's a command. Here's a commission. But don't do a thing. Wait. The first command is not go. The first command is wait. And just like they went through this whole process before they could enter the land and possess everything, they were in the land, but they had to go through all these things before they could even operate and and take the promises of God. These are all essential things. They are all shadows and types of things that we need to operate in. Before you can loose one thing that is authorized by heaven, you have to be fully, strongly related to heaven. You got to be a seer and a hearer of kingdom stuff. You got to be born from above. It's not just being born from above, but fully initiated where you are baptized in the Holy Spirit. And see, we are spirit-filled church. We're a Holy Ghost church. We're a church that believes in the gifts of the Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We're a tongue-talking, fire-breathing congregation. And I really believe this isn't an optional thing that you can kind of take or leave. I really believe that if you are not born again, if you are not fully initiated, if you haven't waited and embraced the wait command and the rest command, if you haven't waited till you're endued with power from on high, everything is going to be an act of the flesh. 
Because we got to do this not by might or by power. It's the spirit of Almighty God. So he said, wait for the promise of the Father, which I said and which you have heard of me. So there's two types of encounters that you can have. Jesus had two types of encounters with people. Number one, the ones he initiated. Number two, the ones we initiate. You ready? There's the ones he initiated. So in John 5, all over the scriptures, you'll see Jesus. In John 5, we said to him, do you want to be well? So who initiated this? Jesus did. There was a sick man who's just sitting there. He didn't even know who Jesus was. Jesus was about to pass by. And Jesus stepped into his life and he said, do you want to be well? Like he wasn't looking for Jesus. I mean, out of nowhere, Jesus steps into his world. And he has an encounter with Jesus, initiated by Jesus. Boom! His world has changed forever. Yay! Don't you love those times where Jesus initiates? You know what's even better is when we can initiate. Because in the, in the chapter before, there's a nobleman who says to Jesus, he went with him, he, he went and he said to him, I implore you, come and heal my son. Here's a guy who heard about Jesus, and he wasn't waiting. He wasn't going, gee, I hope he comes to my house. Well, I hope he, hope he comes my way. I hope God cares about me. He wasn't waiting. He ran. He went miles to find, where is Jesus right now? Where is he? I'm not waiting to see if I'm on his calendar. I'm going to put myself on his calendar. I'm going to get a breakthrough. I'm going to have an encounter. And he initiated an encounter with God. Every person in the Gospels who initiated an encounter with God got exactly what he came for. Every single time. And here's the beautiful thing is, you can have an encounter with God right now. You don't have to wait. You don't have to go, wow, I hope he touches me. Oh, I hope he's for me. I hope God's on my side. God's not on your side. He came to take over. One of the wonderful things about him is this door is wide open to you. And you have access any time, at any place, at any moment, no matter what's been going on in your world. You have absolute access to God. In fact, where did he take up residence? Right here. You have Christ Jesus on the inside of you every single day. You have been in Christed, and you have been in Christed. Christ in you is the hope of glory. Hebrews 10, 19 to 21. So friends... We can now, without hesitation, walk right up to God. Please, settle down. So, friends, we can now, without hesitation, walk right up to God. <laughs> Man. Into the holy place, Jesus has cleared the way by the blood of his sacrifice, acting as our priest before the God. The curtain into God's presence is his body. We can walk right into the presence of God anytime. It's wonderful. I see too many people waiting. Oh, God, if it be your will, please do something for me. It is his will. And the beautiful thing is, is that God's not local. He's not stuck somewhere. If, it's not like, well, if he's in London, he's not in Toronto. If he's in St. Thomas, he's not in Woodstock. He's everywhere. And here's the most beautiful thing is he's in me. He has taken up residence in me. God became flesh and he dwelt among us. God became flesh, and he lives right here. Just pat your belly. Say, hey, hey, Jesus, how's it going? Because Christ in you, there's a powerful expression of his life and power. Without hesitation, we can walk right up to God. Isn't that great? Boom, 